Today's show is brought to you by Qualcomm. At Qualcomm, inventing comes first. The rest of the world innovates on top of Qualcomm's foundational inventions. To learn more, visit qualcomm.com slash we invent. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the opposite of America's sweetheart. But in my (laughs) spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today, we're going to do a little something different. That person you found laughing in the background, I'm talking to Katie Couric, who has hosted shows. Katie, is this right? NBC, ABC, CBS, and Yahoo. We're going to be discussing, and also Nat Geo. We're going to be discussing our careers. I can't hold down a job, (laughs) Kara. I can't. I know. You're like (laughs) kind of jumpy with the jobs. Media technology and so much more. And then the discussion will be posted on both Rico Decode and Katie's podcast, which has a great name. It's called... (laughs) Katie, Katie Couric. Couric. How I original. Even, I know. I don't name my podcast after me. I know. I honestly, I wish I, but everyone encouraged me to just use my name. Because, you should. You're very you know, famous. I don't know. You're very famous. I was going to be Kara's Corner with a K, but then I no one liked it. That's you know? pretty cheese. Yeah, it is. And then I was going to open a store <laughs> along with it. So anyway, so we're going to go back and forth. Apparently, you have a lot of questions for me. I but do. I'm gonna, I do. I'm going to start with you, though. You just got back from the Olympics. So I we're, did. We're, what was your job there? What did you do? You're on NBC. You're I back was. On NBC. Uh, they, you know, I think uh, they needed a, a, a veteran person to yeah. uh, host like the opening ceremony. Quick, yeah. Singular, not yeah. opening ceremonies. Opening ceremony for NBC. So uh-huh. Mike Tirico, who I think has done an incredible job, Kara. I don't know if you've been watching. No, no. Uh, is the new host of the Olympics. Bob mm-hmm. Costas decided he'd had enough, and yeah, so I think because Olympics. it was Mike's. First rodeo in a way covering uh, the Olympic Games, they asked if I would co anchor the opening ceremony with him, which was really fun. I had done it three times before. I had done it for Salt Lake City, Torino, and Athens. Wow. No, not Torino, sorry. Salt Lake City, Athens, and shoot, where's the other one that I did? Um, Somewhere. Global. I'm sorry. That's all right. I did Salt, <laughs> wait, hold on. I did Salt Lake City, Athens, and Sydney. Sydney. Which was my okay. favorite Olympics of oh, all right. because okay. I love so Australians. Memorable. Oh, cool. And so how did you like it? What was it like to be back in the that Olympic oh, anchor chair? I don't yeah. know Yeah, well, it was sort of like riding a bike. It was actually really fun. Um, you know, the thing about the opening ceremony, it's a whole mix. Obviously, there are some sports involved, and you need to familiarize yourself with the various athletes, but it's really mm-hmm. quite geopolitical and cultural as well. And you want to be, you know, knowledgeable about the host country. It's an opportunity for that country to really strut its stuff and sort of, you know, put itself on a world stage. We had a bit of controversy because our cultural expert made a comment Mm -hmm. about Japan, which I think was, um, was, was, I, I don't know whether I don't think it's safe to say it was misinterpreted, but it was probably a little impolitic. And what's sad about it is he's so smart and knowledgeable and incredibly culturally sensitive. So mm-hmm. for this to happen was was very disappointing. But uh, it a angered a lot there. of South Koreans because yeah. of the Japanese occupation. And I think he maybe was overly complimentary about the Japanese. And mm-hmm. uh, they were very, very many people were very, very upset about it. Yeah. Other than that. And the fact that I made a comment about the Dutch skating on the canals. Um, oh, no. 
it went swimmingly <laughs> because they all got many, many. I heard from people from the Netherlands who were like, you're a moron. We don't skate on the canals. But I was trying to salute the rich tradition and why uh, the Dutch are such incredible speed skaters. But mm-hmm. I think I was sort of, you know how that you say you're five minutes ago? I was like a century ago when I made yeah, that assessment. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's, yeah. That good. Otherwise, it just not, there's not even a slight chance to mess up at these Olympics anymore. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's it's so interesting in the age of social media, Kara, yeah. as you know. It's, it's like twitch. everything you say gets, you know, uh, people have a voice and they use yeah. it. And many times that's really good and many times they, you know, it, it makes it difficult to be a public figure, as you well know. Well, I, I don't care. <laughs> I know. I want to be more like you, Kara. I get my feelings hurt. I'm sensitive and I'm like, yeah. oh no. And then no. I lose sleep and I'm so upset. But you do a lot upset. of social media, but you do a ton. Like the other day there was like soup. You were making soup on social media. What were you making? I, I actually Chili. had a lot of fun Chili. with Insta stories. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Explain this because you are on. So you're one of the few people. I want to go back a little bit. I know you have a million questions for me, but okay. I want to go back in your career because you've been quite digital compared to most people uh, of, of the anchor Era. Well, given the fact that I'm a 61-year-old woman, I actually have tried to embrace new technology, and I've always tried to be a little forward-thinking. And I, the one thing I am good at, Kara, is I think I have sort of the sixth sense of what is going on in the ether or the zeitgeist, and I mm-hmm. try to adjust to it accordingly. Sometimes right. I'm a little ahead of the curve, honestly, but I've I've just tried to understand that the media landscape is changing dramatically. People get their information, consume it in very different ways than they did when I was starting out in the business. Right. And so I've just tried to be smart about it. Well, what was it? Because you were on a broadcast just recently. So you sort of back to the old big, big, you know, engine broadcast that just like power through. How, was that a, was, how did that feel? Because you've been like really doing digital and much... Uh, different kind of broadcasting. Yeah, I mean, I've still tried to keep my, you know, hand in traditional linear television. I'm doing a a six-hour series for National Geographic right now. I did a documentary about transgender issues for Nat Geo. So Mm -hmm. I've kind of tried to, um, you know, be media everywhere, if you will, by iterating content for different platforms and doing content that's suitable for various platforms. I mean, that NBC Olympics uh, team, that is a massive machine. And, you know, I have to say it was great to have the one thing I do miss about not being at a broadcast network is that esprit de corps, you know, that Mm -hmm. sense that everybody's kind of working together for I was going to say for the common good, which I don't know if you can actually say that in television, which is pretty damn cutthroat. Yeah. But you feel like there's this kind of community, yeah. this sense of, you know, we we are all kind of marching in step and rowing, you know, together and trying to make our network be the best. And so that was really fun. Right, rather than being a single player, essentially. Right, right. So can you just review, uh, I promise you'll get to ask me okay, questions. Okay, good, but, good, good, good. Um, everyone knows your career. You don't have to go into your long and, and storied career, but you were at lot, all the networks. Um, you worked for all of them, which I think is astonishing. And then went Except to for Yahoo. Fox. I've Except never for worked Fox. for Fox. <laughs> There's a chance still. There's a chance still you can still do it. Do you see it happening? No, no what's even. so interesting, though, Kara, the other night when I was in San Francisco— I decided I'm just going to check out Fox because I like to hear, you know, what different networks are talking about. I don't really watch that much television anymore, but I thought, you know, I just, I was lying in bed. I was sort of exhausted and I thought I'd turn it on. 
And you can see why the country is so divided because mm-hmm. there, it's a parallel universe. When you look at the kind of stuff you get on MSNBC versus the perspective you get on Fox from like Sean mm-hmm. Hannity and Laura mm-hmm. Ingram, you know, no wonder there are two Americas, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you went right to the belly of the beast there. I can't watch either. I mean, both of them are upsetting on some level yeah. in some way. Well, I think Fox is more upsetting, but they definitely have a different— point of view. Like, yeah, well, do you do you feel like it's, a, I mean, do you watch it sometimes to get that point of view? Because I think it's helpful to hear what different people are saying about different topics, but it's confusing because then you're like, well, who's right? Who's yeah. telling, you know, and, and everyone does have their truth now, right? And their perspective. And gosh, it's just hard, I think. Well, one of the things is they, on the, on MSNBC or one, CNN, one of them, they always have an, a Trump person on it or, or someone who's anti. So you do get those points of view. Like, they always like to make it into, I find it completely reductive, the whole thing reductive and ridiculous. It is ridiculous. so reductive because like I sometimes feel like, you know, nobody's talking about the big issues. They're all talking about sort of the latest tweet, but nobody's mm-hmm. talking about, okay, what are the issues? What are the challenges of immigration reform? Right, you know, exactly. what needs to be done specifically? You know, what's keeping us from moving ahead? What are some legitimate complaints about illegal immigration? It has become so uh, polarized that it. I, I think sometimes people are really are, are not getting the information they need to make smart choices. Well, I think cable is so attractive, you know, in terms of watching it because it's so easy to watch. Yeah. Um, that it's, it, I try not to. It just, it, I think it deadens the soul. I mean, I, you know, and, and Fox has perfected it. The others have taken it and done their own versions of it. Well, it's affirmation, um, not information, isn't right. it? Yep, 100%. And so it just exhausts me. I think cable has done more for ruining our democracy than almost anything. Like So besides the Russians these days. Phil but, Griffin uh, and Jeff Zucker online too for you. <laughs> I know, but you know what I mean? Like the whole, I do think Fox led it, like created the, the thing. But when they try to be, when they try to be more thoughtful, it's really helpful. I mean, and I think, you you know, you were coming from the era where they were thoughtful broadcasts that you put together every night. Yeah, and I think, you know, I do think young people are going to want to return to that in a way. I've been very heartened to see all those kids in Parkland, Florida, Kara. I mean, I was just crushed and devastated for those families. I can barely even talk about it. And to see these young people, that Emma Gonzalez, who gave that speech Mm -hmm. at that rally, you know, and we call BS, I, I was just... I felt so proud of them because I talked to Mark Barden, who's a friend of mine, whose son Daniel was killed at Sandy Hook last night. And we were saying, you know, second graders who survive a school shooting can't right. really use their voices. Their no. parents are so grief-stricken, understandably, of course, that even as much as they try, it's hard. But these kids, they mobilized in a nanosecond. They're doing a march on Washington and in communities all across the country. And they are like totally mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore. Well, they're and using I have social found media that so too. inspiring. It's social media they're using, which is really interesting. They're, they're, they're using the tools that they're very good at right. um, to do it. And then you they, you can, but the thing is you can put thoughtful things in these mediums. I mean, it's such a canard that you, you don't have to. I agree. Same thing with cable. Same thing with all of them. You do not have to make it as as reductive as it is. Like, I don't as, know. As, yeah, why why do you think media companies for so long clung to that and and really I guess it's sort of the the, the MO to to uh basically feel that people are too dumb to absorb important substantive information. 
Or that they can't listen for more than a minute. That they can't, that, that it's cheap. Again, well, again, like, podcast I, is totally, I mean, look at how podcasts are growing. That's totally disproving that. Right, 100%. When I started my podcast, I, several people, this was years ago. I did it three or four years, three years ago. Um, and, and several people who are experts were like, people won't listen for an hour. And I was like, well, so I'm going to talk for an hour. Like, I just, I, our, our whole premise at Recode has always been substance. It's so true. And Carrie, you know, like my daughter, Carrie, is a senior in college. And mm -hmm. she is so funny. She's like, hey, mom, there was a really good thing on the daily about North Korea. You need to listen to that. Right. Or did you listen? I heard this on NPR. And it's so interesting because Carrie will be listening to podcasts while she's brushing her teeth or washing her face in the morning. And I'm like, I'm so proud of her that, that she is so engaged and it's with smart material. So, But, but she is 12th grade. So she is the Gen, Gen Z, she knows, right? She's My a son senior is in college. Senior in college. Okay, so she's still, was she a millennial? Or she, in any, in I think case, she's like on the cusp of millennial. Yeah. I think well, she's so like a G, people, Gen Z slash millennial. I'm going to give, I'm going to make a, like a huge generalization, but I think people who use Snapchat and other, that era, it's not the Facebook generation, it's sort of the Snapchat generation. Right. They are much different in how they use social media. They're very careful and considered how they do it. They're very, they're less, you know, reactive. They're less Twitter twitchy. Um, they don't use, they use these mediums very carefully. My, I have a son who's 15 um, yeah. and another who's 13. Um, and they both, they're both much more careful about how they use it and present themselves and consume the medium. Well, it's let me ask you switchy. about Snapchat because I, you know, I wanted, I wanted to not only talk to you about some of these big media companies and get mm -hmm. the latest skinny on it, but I also want to talk about you, Kara. Okay, but but first, ahead. you know, so I know Evan Spiegel had a good quarter. You know, I get all this stuff on my phone and yeah. I know that, that in Investors were a little heartened, but it seems like Instagram really took the wind out yes, of his sales yep. um, with Insta Stories, which I'm totally obsessed with, which is actually a sickness, which we'll, we'll discuss later. But um, tell me what's going on with Snapchat. And I know they did a redesign and people were they upset did. about it. They what's what's like the it. latest on that? Yeah, my son texted me. He's like, nobody likes this redesign. I mean, I think these companies redesign continually. They're always shifting and changing. And, you know, Facebook had 20 ones that people didn't like. So I think that I think they just have to go with the way they want to do it and yeah. then hope for the best. And people so, will adjust. Yeah, I don't I don't obsess on, on redesigns unless they're just truly awful, like a new Coke. Like, new, you know what I mean? Yeah, Something really yeah. doesn't work. Um, and people get, people get used to the way they're using these things. So I don't over index on that. Um, that said, you know, they've got to be very careful because what happened is years ago, Facebook tried to copy, tried to buy Snapchat, first of all. Uh, Facebook is essentially their mortal, not their mortal enemy, their, their killer, really. They're, but they're trying to kill off Snapchat. Um, and they bought, they tried to buy Snapchat and he put it off. He's a really interesting and visionary entrepreneur, uh, Evan Spiegel. I think every time I talk to him, I'm always fascinated. And that's, I can't say that with everybody I talk to. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's got a big sense of where things are going and, and they really do have an advantage in that it's not a twitchy, it's not a twitchy medium at all, even though I don't use it that much and I, I do know how to use it. Um, but it's a much, it's a different, it's a communications meeting a lot, a lot more like WeChat in China. Uh -huh. um, if you, if you ever use that one. I don't use um, WeChat. But Facebook had just decided to try to kill it. And so they tried something, I think it was called Poke or something like that, they had, which uh -huh. is just an awful name for a medium, um, based on the pokes on Facebook, essentially. Um, and that didn't work and didn't catch on. Um, and then they did it, used Instagram to do this, to do Instagram stories. Um, and I had Kevin uh, Sistrom, who was the founder of Instagram, on my podcast. And he, you know, most the people complained about it. They basically thought it was shoplifting or, or, or plagiarism, you know, in, in terms of how they 
borrowed what Snapchat was doing. And he said, look, we are doing exactly the same thing they're doing, but someone invented the car radio. Should we not make better car radios? Yeah. You know what I mean? That's That was his argument. We're making a better car radio and good for them for inventing the car radio, but too bad. And I think he was talking about the iterative nature of technologies that people build on, just like Jobs and Gates stole, well, people don't, they borrowed uh, the stuff from Xerox Park. That happens, the, the the graphical user interface. It happens, it happens again. And I think the problem for Snapchat is that Facebook can just roll, eventually we'll get it right, just like Microsoft did a million times on a bunch of other tech companies. So so what what does that mean for Evan Spiegel and Snapchat? Oh. And how does Instagram compare? Well, he's so creative. That's the issue. I think the people, I think, so is Kevin Sistrom, by the way, um, who runs Instagram. Um, but I think it's hard. I think it's super hard to compete. I mean, the era of big tech companies now is really here. Um, I was talking to someone the other day, of a venture capitalist named Sarah Tavel, and she said it's really hard to do innovative companies anymore because, uh, and there will be innovative companies. It's not going to never stop. But the, the, the powerful companies, Apple, Google, uh, Facebook, um, Amazon, and, and, and Amazon are just, it just creates a, like a really difficult, and they're buying up companies and they're, they're being innovative and iterative themselves, and so it makes it super hard for smaller companies to break in. Facebook has gotten a lot of bad press lately, yes, obviously, <laughs> about Russia <laughs> and about all yeah. kinds of things. So yeah. give me, a, can you just catch me up on, on what's happening in Facebook and if they, you know, what do you think the, the outcome is going to be of, of a lot of this criticism? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was on, you don't follow Twitter that carefully, but I had a, 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 a debate with Facebook executives this weekend on Twitter. Oh, um, that must have been attention. fun. I'm going to have to go back <laughs> they and lost. check that out. They lost. Uh, it's gone. They it's lost. Gone, Katie. Yeah. Um, oh, no, here's what they did is they're, they're very sensitive. First of all, they did a very slow roll about the uses of their platform by Russia. Um, in terms of initially last year, Mark Zuckerberg said there was no impact uh, whatsoever. Well, they said that again, even recently, right? Yeah, they do. Yes, sway the election, which is an unknowable thing to conclude. Yes. Well, they want it. You know, they just keep saying it, and they maybe if they say it'll be so, it's like Trump, right? They just keep saying the crowds are bigger. The crowds are bigger. The crowds are bigger. Um, I think one of the things is they're very, you know, they're very technical and mathematical people, and so they're being very accurate about certain things they're saying and focusing in on them and missing the forest through the trees. You, you know, know what I mean? Isn't just, a lot of this stuff unquantifiable? Some of it is. Some of it is. But I think the overall issue is that they, they, they're, they're technically saying these ads were not run until these ads were. They weren't talking about the content on the platform. It's so much larger and bigger than they're discussing. But it, technically, their ads were bought at various times. And so their whole premise around this is that these ads didn't sway the election. And everyone else is like, well, there's an, an indictment by Robert Mueller that shows how they used face, primarily Facebook and Instagram to really uh, to, to invade the system and take advantage of the system. And I liken it to, I mean, if you think about it, what if what if Russia had bought all the advertisements on, uh, on a network or had run the content of a network during a presidential election and swayed it? Right. They don't want to take responsibility for the fact that their platform was used by a malevolent power to create discord in our country. And that doesn't seem to bother them as much as technically our ads weren't bought into here. The platforms were used and abused because, you know, it's sort of like, why would you rob a bank? That's where the money is. Mm -hmm. That's where the people are. And so these platforms and Facebook being the biggest one have been much abused by malevolent powers. Well, so what's going to happen? Like when you think about Facebook, uh, Karen, you think about, say, YouTube, which has also Mm -hmm. had a lot of problems with 
pornography and inappropriate content and advertisers are now shying away from that. I mean, yep. what what is the solution for these companies when they, you know, the genie's out of the bottle? Well, I just had a, a long interview with Susan Wojcicki at one of our events earlier this week, actually, who's the the CEO of right. a very thoughtful person. I just had her on an NBC, MSNBC show. I, I really too, like her. She's great. She's great. But I mean, she, they're trying very hard because they know that these platforms are massive. I mean, the bill, they, I think it's a trillion hours a week or some, it's some enormous number that's being uploaded to YouTube and all these social media platforms. And so the ability of them to monitor it is enormous. They don't, there's obviously people can't do it. It's not, it's not feasible for people to do. It's not scalable. And then secondly, the technology around AI and other machine learning in order to, to maybe control this better is still in its infancy and very problematic. And so they, they're trying to figure out how to maintain order, I guess, and at the same time, pretend they're not media companies. And so when I interview them, I do a lot of, well, are you a media? No, we're not. We're a, I think Susan was like, we're a technology platform whose end result is media or something. It was some in, like really convoluted way. Why do saying, you think they're so reticent to be, to, you know, kind of admit? Because it requires responsibility. That, that means they're responsible. Like the New York Times cares if it's wrong, right? You know, whatever people think of the New York Times or whatever liberal media or whatever, you know, working at any of these institutions, we care when we're wrong. We say we're wrong. We, like, correct, and it matters. There's a great deal of heaviness to the responsibility. Well, they're like, the, they say they're the pipes. They're not the stuff that goes through it, right? Right. Even as they ruin the, the business plans of every publisher. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's a really, they have to take, it's a different kind of media company, but they're a media company. But the minute they admit they're a media company, it means they have responsibility for what's on their platform. And they and there's lots of laws why they don't want that to happen too. Like they don't they want to just say they're a benign platform essentially. Do you think that's ever going to change? I mean, what how do you see this all, you know? No, I, I don't think that there will be any regulation of uh, there's there's always talk about it. And obviously the I'm interviewing Cory uh, Booker and others. The Democrats are suddenly, which were the friend of media, a friend of internet, are now turning on the internet, which right. is really interesting. Um, and so we'll see if the Democrats get in power, if there's more regulation. But so far, the U.S., and where most of this is taking place, has been toothless. Absolutely. Europe, on the other hand, there's a woman named Mar Marguerite Vestager, mm -hmm. who's been very tough on all the big media companies in Who Europe. Who is she? They, uh, she's, a, she's a commissioner at the EU. Uh -huh. uh, I think it's for competition. I forget her long title. But she's fantastic. I did a great podcast and interview with her. She's she's really an interesting force. And she's the one that's levied all these fines on these companies and, and really has the teeth to really bother them in these countries. And, and I think the European Union and Europe has a very different point of view on privacy, on abuse, on all kinds of things that, that is problematic for U.S. tech companies. But in the U.S., you know, they roll over. Everybody rolls over. And obviously, our tweeter-in-chief, uh, our troll-in-chief, uh, Donald Trump, is using the medium to his own advantage. But um, when we get back, we got to break for a commercial, and then when we get back, we're gonna we're gonna go real deep with you and me. Katie. Okay, Is that okay? sounds good. All right, we're here with Katie Couric. She and I are doing a co uh, podcast, and yeah. when we get back, we're gonna talk about our careers. I have to ask you questions about Yahoo and more. Today's show is brought to you by Qualcomm. At Qualcomm, inventing comes first. When they connected the phone to the internet, Qualcomm's foundational inventions created the mobile revolution. And now, as Qualcomm leads the world to 5G, their inventions will enable new industries and the next great product the world can't live without. Qualcomm is inventing the tech the world loves. To learn more, visit qualcomm.com slash weinvent.
We're here with Katie Couric. Uh, we are doing a, uh, a joint discussion. This is um, so fun. I just feel fun? like we're having we're, lunch and just <laughs> hanging having out. Lunch. We, I, you know, nobody knows this, but we like each other, Katie Couric, don't we? Well, yes, like, we do, we Kara Swisher. We, we I admire you. I like you. I think you're really smart, really funny, and really good at what you do. So speaking of that, how did you get into this crazy business? I know you went to Georgetown. You went started Georgetown. writing for your school yep. newspaper. You could yep. call the Washington Post. No, I Post. didn't. I Wait, did not write not, for my school. At Georgetown. You, oh, you, you called the Washington Post to bitch them out about an article, which made me laugh. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, because that's, that's, you you thought that they did a bad job covering something at Georgetown. Yeah, they did. I did. I was mad at them for the for a piece on if you if I'll date myself. Roberto Dabuizon. Do you remember him from no. Nicaragua, the awful killer of women and children in Nicaragua? He 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 led the death squads. Oh, that's right. And so I thought it was irresponsible. They didn't do a good job covering him. So I was kind of pissed about. Well, you know what I thought was really interesting about that story, Kara. Though mm-hmm. you called, and I don't remember the editor to whom you spoke. It's uh, what's it, Larry Kramer. Larry Kramer. Not the Larry Kramer. Well, it's the Larry Kramer in journalism. He ran, uh, uh, he's now a USA Today publisher, I think. Oh, that's right. Okay. Not the other, wait, who's the other Kramer? Playwright? Playwright. No, not the playwright. The guy in MSNBC. I see. Oh, I don't know. There's some, Larry Kudlow. There's no, no, the guy who screams all the time. Oh, is he? Oh, Kramer, Jim Kramer. Jim Kramer, <laughs> sorry. I was getting mixed up with Jim Kramer. I did not sorry, call him, Jim. but I he's do know him, and he's a lovely that. man. But anyway, so Larry Kramer, which I really thought was cool, said, come in and talk to me about it. Now, if he hadn't done that, do you think you would have gotten into journalism anyway? That's a good question. Yes, I was. I was already really writing a lot. Yes, 100%. But I, don't, still, I think getting that break to go to the Washington Post was a big deal. Um, and it was a big deal to, because it, it, you know, you know how it elevates you when you go. Where did you start? You started out of like a small. I started at ABC News in Washington. Washington, getting, right. Getting uh, Frank Reynolds ham sandwiches, making coffee and passing out Xeroxes at yep. the rundown. Guess what I did? Delivered mail. Katie. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. And you know what was really interesting about working from the beginning is I was in the mailroom and I did night news aid and things like that at the Washington Post when I was younger, when I was in college, was that you understand the dynamics of politics of a newsroom much better from a lower rung. I don't know if you did. I learned that really talented people weren't quite as difficult as the less talented people. Yeah, I, like I don't that. know if I learned that, but I did learn through <laughs> osmosis just yeah. kind of how a newsroom worked. Uh, I think it sort of feeds your curiosity. You watch people who you admire, who you think mm-hmm. are good, who are tough. Yep. And um, I also think it makes you think, hey, if they can do it, I can do it because they're not right. that great. Right. right, exactly. And I think I took it. I think you probably did the same thing. I took every opportunity I got. Every time someone handed me a chance, I took it. And like, oh, someone go to the Smithsonian to write about this dumb like rock collection story. And I just said, I'll do it. You know what I mean? I, I'll do it was my... Definitely. You know, right. Say yes to everything. I know yeah. that I did this book of advice a few years ago where I just mm-hmm. asked people to write essays, sort of the secrets of their success, because mm-hmm. I, I thought it'd be a nice graduation present. And I gave all the money to Scholarship America, which gives, you know, um, underserved kids an opportunity to go to college. And, um, and, and that's what Ryan Seacrest said of all people. He said, say yes to everything. Everything. And I think yeah. that is a really important you know, and a valuable piece of advice for people starting out. Don't you, Kara? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. I think one of the things, it was more than yes. I just, I didn't just say yes. I just, I literally would do whatever. Yeah. Took, kind of thing. And I think I, you know, one of the things I was talking to someone the other day, they were like, what do you regret? And I'm like, I didn't really travel. I went right to work. Like I worked, I think you probably did the same thing is I didn't like take time off. I didn't like go and find myself in 
you know, Thailand. Or I know. Well, like for that. me, work is like oxygen. Yes, you know? I, I have agreed. to work. I and and I know you feel the same way. And I'm wondering. I didn't realize. I feel like I know a lot about you, but I I don't think I knew that your dad died when you were just five years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And and he had a cerebral hemorrhage. And yeah. You, you know it it yeah. And he was how old, Kara? Thirty four. Thirty four years old, which is so yeah. heartbreaking. And yeah, you know, was. that was the age Ellie was when Jay died, my mm-hmm. my late husband. And do you remember your dad? You know, it's funny. I do in bits and pieces. I don't know how much she does. You should I I had an interesting you know, a lot of people whose uh, parents die at a young age are are something called highly functional because they become like half their life goes away, really, if you think about it. If you're five, you don't have much reference to other friends and family and things like you reference your parents pretty much. And so you you don't have you get highly functional because the worst thing in the world happened to you and you survived. And I think a lot of people, kids whose parents died at a young age become uh, one, they work, they they just move faster because they realize, you know, the ephemerality of life. And then at the same time, um, they can deal with things. Things don't bother them that much. Like in, in both negative and positive, you want to be bothered by certain things in life, but you definitely roll on through. Is your mom um, still living? Yes, she is. Oh, yeah. she's. Do you, uh, do you find you worry City about right? her a lot? Because the one thing no. that I've noticed, and I had talked with Carrie, my younger daughter, about this, because Ellie was at such a formative age. Carrie was just two, and Ellie had just turned... I guess was six. It had mm-hmm. turned six, and 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 she is very she she gets a lot of anxiety about me because uh. I think she does. You know, I'm her only parent. And do you feel right. that way about your mom? Uh, no, <laughs> my mom drives me I nuts. I'm I just sorry. Was on the phone. I'm sorry. No, Mrs. we're an Italian Switzer. family, so no, I do not worry about her. Sometimes, like she she loves her Fox News. Let me just say, so that's been a great. Time oh, interesting. Do you years, guys yeah. not talk about politics at the oh, Thanksgiving table? Oh my God, she never shuts. Up. Oh, I had to throw out a Thanksgiving once because she voted for Rink Santorum, but that's a long story. <laughs> uh, she she said she wouldn't because he was for anti-gay uh, stuff, and I said you can't vote for him and and continue to have Thanksgiving. With Where does me. she so, live? In New York City and she, everywhere. She's in Mexico City right now, I think. Interesting. She That's she's quite interesting. A, she's like an anti-mame kind of person. Uh, yeah, Fox has, has poisoned her brain completely. Um, but uh, but she's okay. She's pretty funny. Um, yeah. You'd like her. You'd like her, Katie. She's fun. She's oh, fun yeah. Lady. She sounds fun. We'll have to she's take her to lunch or something. We'll take her to lunch. Yeah. Not talk about politics too oh, much. Oh, but she doesn't like Trump so much. But, she, you know, she likes Fox News. Oddly, she, does, she can't stand Trump. So listen, after, wait, I just want to do a little more of your career stuff. Yes, after, yeah. So after the Washington Post, um, I mean, you are such a force, Kara, and and you're sort of the most well-liked and feared. I read that mm-hmm. a million places, yeah, journalists yeah. covering in Silicon Valley. And and how did you get so interested in, in covering technology? In tech, I covered Steve Case from AOL. Um, I, I was here in Washington at the Washington Post, and I covered the internet early, early on. Um, when there was AT&T Interchange and all this other stuff. And so I was super struck by the internet from a very early age. Uh, I had the Washington Post had a phone I used, a big old heavy one. It was in a suitcase. Um, I was I was riveted to the idea that there was going to be a mobile phone I for some reason. That Did you have one of those head. like Maxwell Smart car phones that looked like a shoebox? I was not in my car, but I, it was a suitcase that I brought in my car that the Post had. And then I bought one of the, you know, and then I had one of the other phones that looked like those big ones. And I had, I've had early, I've had phones forever. I one time was on a vacation with someone I was going out with and I was in the middle of 
the bay in Provincetown. It was low tide, and so I could walk out pretty far. And I was like, it works out here. And I think they broke up with me right then. Like, really? like it works out. Yeah, no, I just went on a vacation in Mexico uh, with uh, Nelly, and uh, it was supposed to be without any internet or anything else. And of course, I managed to find a cellular connection somewhere. <laughs> you you man- managed to find the one square foot where your phone reception would come in. I did hike up the giant hill to get there, but what? Uh, whatever, it's details. Well, do you worry, Dummy, do you worry about tech addiction? Because that's something that actually yeah. I am worried about, not only for myself, but for people in general, because, yes, that's another you know, I see my daughters, one of the hours I'm doing for Nat Geo, shameless plug, mm-hmm. is talking about no, is technology making us lose our humanity? Because it really right. is changing, yes. dramatically changing the nature, nature of our relationships. And one thing right. I heard, Kara, from an internet expert, you know, addiction expert, out in California, I interviewed Larry Rosen. He said that mm-hmm. kids are actually developing plaque in their brain oh, because that, phones that and screen plaque, time yeah. is actually interrupting the melatonin in their brain and increasing wow. cortisol. And they're very, very worried about early dementia among yeah. these addicted kids, which wow. was enough to freak me out. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. What, Katie, that's terrible. I'm sorry I, I to agree. break the I news think, to you, but— think, So I'm completely demented right now then. <laughs> um, I think, uh, you know, it's not to joke about it. I agree. I think it's going to be a big topic this year. I think, uh, you know, people talk about this, and again, this is the next wave of hit that hits the companies like Facebook. Definitely. And, um, and, and, and you hear more more people making noise. One of the guys I interviewed, Tristan, Tristan. Harris, who I just yeah, think Tristan. is, I love him, Kara. Yeah. He's such a remarkable young man. He's 33 years old. He quit Google, right? Because he said, mm-hmm. was it Google or? Google. Yeah. He was at he, Google, Because yeah. he felt like these, these internet companies, our tech companies are manipulating us so much. Yeah. And they're making us addicted by, and I, well, I see it in my own They're also not life. taking, same theme, not taking responsibility for what they're doing. And so one of the things which, you know, people are liking them. I mean, media companies are liking them to cigarette companies. I think that's probably taking it slightly too far. But there is, uh, there, there is a question of how much warning people should have, how much knowing about it, how much science needs to happen. Well, I feel like, you know, stuff. nobody is really, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this hour, you know, we're, we're, we're operating and it's like minute by minute and nobody, I think in the media culture takes a step back and says, wait a second, let's take a look at some of these big issues because I think this is such an incredibly transformational time in almost every arena, but nobody is sort of debating it or talking well, it, about it, it. they don't want to. These internet companies don't want to do that because I think what they've been doing is growing at a breakneck speed. And one of the things I started to do last year, right, when they went to visit Trump, you remember they all trooped up to Trump Tower? Right. And, uh, and didn't say anything about immigration. And I had a, I wrote one of these scoldy, scoldy columns about it, talking about how dare you do this without discussing immigration. This guy has been so anti-immigrant, you know, which has been the fuel for Silicon Valley, essentially, right. immigrants. All the major companies founded by immigrants, Elon Musk, Sergey Brin, Satya Nadella, uh, Steve Jobs' parents, were, father was an immigrant. Um, and so I, in each of them, you know, I, Susan Wojcicki's parents are from an right. uh, father is from another country. Um, so I was, I was really angry at them for doing that by walking up there. And they were all like, oh, you know, we'll get to it. He's not, he doesn't mean what he says. I'm like, he means what he says, you know, around this topic, because he said it so many times and was one of his basic promises to his constituency. And so I think what they what they want to do is is sort of act as if they are the saviors of humanity and not take the responsibility for what their inventions create. Um, and that and tech addiction is just one of the many. And I think, you know, you at some point you do like I, I, get, I get a lot of pushback this past year. It's like, you're such a scold. And I'm like, no, you need to grow up and start to understand not just tech addiction, but 
job displacement? Like what's going to happen around well, AI let's, and Can we automation? talk about that too? Because sure. that's like yeah. something that, that I uh, address in this hour. 38% mm-hmm. of jobs are susceptible to automation, All of them. eliminating them by the early 2030s. Right. I know you did a town hall series mm-hmm. uh, with MSNBC about that and with jobs mm-hmm. in the future. This is something that I've been really interested in because, sure. you know, it's it, jo- these jobs are not being lost to globalization. They're being lost to automation and robots. And, and so AI. it's a huge dilemma, and I think it's actually part of what's feeding white working class frustration. Another hour I'm doing on that, Geo. <laughs> so what what is the solution here? I mean— I, I don't know, because it, it, you know, with, I, I got the inspiration from doing that series on MSC from Mark Andreessen, who've been arguing for decades now. He and I argue about all kinds of things. But one of the things he was talking about was that it's like the farming to manufacturing It definitely and, is. And look—except—except— that that happened over 70-some years, and it was a very—and it was huge political uprising because of it. And now, in this age of social media and also constant and, and repeated uh, media everywhere and people's feeling, uh, you know, so apart from each other and so partisan, it's a it's a powder keg as far as I can tell. You know, I mean, you really I agree the situation. You know, Steve Case has talked about this. J.D. Vance's great book, Hillbillyology. Yeah. Um, it's not just, it's not just, it's, it, there is a massive transition about to happen around jobs that people are not paying attention to. And I don't want to Joan be one Williams of those Williams also wrote a great book based on a Wall Street Journal piece that she, no, a Harvard Business Review mm-hmm. article called, just called White Working Class, which right. talks a lot about cultural uh, class cluelessness and cultural condescension and all this stuff I highly recommend. It's not just white. It's like, the, what, what, who is thinking of it? That's, I, I don't want to like say, okay, there's not going to be better jobs in the future. There, but what, what are we going to do about it? One of the things that um, Nellie just interviewed Robert Reich, who was the former labor him. secretary. And one of the things he said in this interview, they did a New York Times thing on AI. It was a, an event. And one of the things that I thought was the best quote that came out of it was, you were either, this is universal. She was asking about universal basic income, which is you pay people right. essentially when jobs get lost. And it's, you know, a lot of, it's very controversial. It feels like communism a little bit. You know what I mean? It's questionable, but it's one of the ideas of how to deal with this joblessness and uh, and eventual joblessness. Um, he said, you either are going to pay, pay then these numbers to pay people to not work, essentially. Right. Or you're going to pay to bulletproof your Tesla. Like, and I was like, oh, wow, that's because people are going to, you're going to create this sort of Brazil-like situation where there's very poor and very rich. Um, and, and that's going to be, we've got to really, my question is who's thinking about it? Who among our, is it the tech companies? Whose responsibility is it? The tech companies? Is it government? Is it citizens? I think it's, yeah, I think it's all of the above, but you're right. It's very frustrating that people are just kind of have their head in the sand about this. Zoe Baird is working very she hard is. on this thing called Skillful, and she's working with Governor Hickenlooper in Colorado to try to come up with a way to retrain and, uh, you know, especially displaced workers. But I think our whole education system needs right. to be reevaluated. I went to Johnstown, Pennsylvania, where mm-hmm. there 50% of the high school students are involved in vocational training. Right. And I just think that we just have to really kind of everybody has to put their their thinking caps on. And where it's going, because some of these jobs, you don't even, I mean, some of the jobs, there was a great story in the New York Times recently about Sweden, that they were doing, uh, robots are doing mining, essentially. Right. Uh, and all kinds of, like, why should people, like this whole thing about Kentucky going back to coal mining, 
people probably shouldn't coal mine. Like, this, it's very dangerous. It's, you know, cer- there's certain jobs, rote jobs, that maybe people shouldn't do anymore. Right. And it wasn't good for people in the first place. So why just have them there when robots can do it better? But and I so- think what's hard, Kara, is, you know, th- these are generational, traditional yes. jobs that have yes. been passed on. It is part of certain people's DNA. So we right. have to help them, re- you know, rethink their whole thinking, we have to rethink education, rethink all the different possibilities and how from the get-go, from pre-K on, we start orienting people toward the jobs of the future. Thank you. Who knows? Who knows? Thank you. Thank you, (laughs) President uh, Kirk. Um, They can't even decide in lunch. They can't pass a Dreamers Act. This is like, for example, the Dreamers Act thing is just driving me crazy because it's literally an advertisement to the rest of the world that we don't like innovation. We don't like innovative people. We don't like people who work harder. It it is such a message to the rest of the world, which, again, we have the, the technology and innovation in this country has been fueled by immigrants, no matter how you slice it, people coming in, fresh ideas, fresh thinking. And also hardworking, you know? Exactly. The the people, you know, the scrappy people who have something to prove, who, I mean, those are the people who change the world, not people who, you know, pardon the expression, are born with a silver spoon in their mouth, like, you know, many people we know. Right. And the problem is, I think one of the things, you know, we can get into diversity in the next section, but I do need to talk to you about Yahoo. I need to Okay, well, we'll talk that about went. that. But and I also second, want to talk to you about, like, how you're able to get so many people to talk to you and how you how you stay in the business without pissing so many people off. They never talk to you again. Well, I'm about to piss everyone off. I think at the end of my career is going to be one big disaster. But, really? Um, no, no. But you're let just, just going to go out like you're I'm going to go gonna like, just... like a Roman candle, Katie. I'm going out <laughs> big and ugly. Finishing up this section, one of the things I think is what I think about when I think about these ideas around not accepting people in this country and around keeping it in open borders and things like that in order to do this, um, is that there is a, like, including around the issues of diversity, too, like not bringing, not thinking bigger. There is a, I have this vision in my head of a small girl in Afghanistan who knows how to solve cancer. It's in her brain, like, who is going to be the one that does it, who will never get there because of all kinds of issues, either immigration or discrimination or whatever. There, there are, we don't know who hasn't been able to invent things because of the barriers we put in people's way that we could remove and create a better place. And I know it sounds like sort of pie in the sky, but the more barriers we put in front of people to be innovative, the less humanity benefits. I agree with you 100%. And I do think the internet is helping remove some of those barriers in terms of giving people a pathway to education and exposing them to, you know, ideas that they'd never be exposed to otherwise. Right. Well, we're going to talk about that more because we, you talked to James Damore and others for your one of your uh, yeah that I was talking on. Anyway, we're here with Katie Couric. We are talking about all kinds of things. We're jumping from thing to thing, but that's why we're so fascinating to everybody, including really, ourselves. Truly. All right. When we get back, we're going to talk about Katie's time at Yahoo and be, how I'm going to go out like in, in a giant um, cloud of something. Anyway, when we get back. <laughs> okay. I also want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge. That's me. I'm actually the boss of the podcast. All right. Okay, fine. Every Friday, we answer your questions about tech. Lauren, who did we talk to this week? Bossy Lauren. We talked to Sophia Amoruso. You might know her as the founder of Nasty Gal, but she's also the founder of Girl Boss uh, Media, but they're dropping the media. And she's the host of the Girl Boss Radio podcast on iTunes. Sophia, thanks so much for joining us this week. What did we talk about? Oh, gosh. The politics of the word girl boss. 
I Nostradamus myself, talked about the future, <laughs> talked about going bankrupt, getting divorced, all kinds of stuff. We're talking super, about your new media company. And girl is- boss media or slash girl boss because media is really limiting and what I'm building. Which is? It's like Oprah for millennials. Sophia, thank you for coming. It was a great discussion. We hope you go listen to it. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. Okay, we're here with Katie Couric. We've been talking about a range of things. Katie, obviously, is the famous, the most famousest anchor person. <laughs> no, I'm I said, not. Yes, you are. You've worked for every network and Yahoo. You're going to tell me, Yahoo. Yeah. Katie, what happened? Well, I think it was a really interesting experience. I mm-hmm. think that, um, you know, I think the the real issue is many of these tech companies, I mean, it was what we were talking about earlier. They are not media companies. They do right. not care deeply about stories, about content, about true connection. I think they care about widgets and gadgets and how to d- and delivery systems. But mm-hmm. they aren't really super interested in, you know, the the vegetable soup that's running through the pipes. Right, and right. um and I think for me it was just a bit of a a, a culture clash. I think that the problems, the challenges of making sure people got good content was just not high on their priority list. Right. So, what did you? What, when you went in, you were thinking what? You had been at these. Well, I thought you, you know. ABC, I thought right? I, I. Yeah, I saw the world changing. I saw mm-hmm. people uh, consuming information. I saw this pipeline, whether you know, direct disintermediation or you know, using these pipes to reach people as something that was incredibly promising. And I thought, Yahoo, I said to Marissa Meyer, I said, do you want to be known as the company that serves up stories about the boy who lived on ramen noodles for 13 Mm -hmm. years? Or do you want to kind of have really important, interesting, substantive interviews? Do you want to educate and enlighten people? Do you want to raise the bar? And, you know, it doesn't mean you can't have the ramen noodle story, but you could do maybe a high-low thing like they do in fashion. You know, you wear a Mm -hmm. sweater from Bergdorf's and jeans from J. Crew, whatever. So she seemed to be open, but I don't think she was ever sort of understood the commitment that would take. And I just right. think she had a lot of other things on her plate, in fairness. And so, it, it you know, I wouldn't say it was an unhappy marriage, but it was certainly not very fulfilling for me because right. I had all this great content. I was getting big interviews, you and were, it was sort of yeah. like a tree falling in the forest. Because no one, because they didn't put it on the front page? Well, they didn't was... put it on the front page, or they didn't really know how to, I mean, even now, they really don't have very good distributions. You know, they don't, yeah. they didn't really know how to market things properly. They didn't know how to take quality and and make it scalable. And at one point, you were paying for Facebook ads, is that correct, or to get your stuff out there? No, 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 I wasn't paying. I did bring someone in who was really an expert on micro-targeting because, right. you know, I would say to him, how can my stuff get seen more? And I right. would, you know, say to the Yahoo folks, can we please do a newsletter? I'll, I'll totally push out everybody's content. Mm-hmm. I'll make sure everyone sees Matt Bai's column, or I'll make sure that people see Josie's fashion thing. You know, people— yeah, they hired a lot need of to people. Be, yeah, they hired some big names, and yet, you know, they were in the witness protection program. So I said, <laughs> let me help you help them, help us, help everybody. Yeah. Yeah. But they just—I don't know. Maybe it's because they were kind of, at that, that time, and are a legacy 
legacy tech company mm-hmm. that they had kind of no, lost their mojo to innovate, I think, in a way. You no, know, you know, it's an, it's an attitude throughout tech. They, the content doesn't matter. I, I just, right. They, 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 they have talk no about respect it. for content. It's not even no respect. It's it's as if Disdain. it's anything. Just not even that. It's really weird. It's like, oh, it's just another thing they're pushing through the system, essentially. But it I doesn't think matter. That's, that's why, like, I think the secret sauce are people who are technologically savvy, but also respect and care about storytelling. And mm-hmm. the company that I think combines those two things mm-hmm. is going to be is going to win the day. And I haven't mm-hmm. really found it yet. Have you? Well, I guess no, Fox, I've, in a way. Vox does. We we try to, but we don't own the pipes. You know what I mean? Right. I, I do think sometimes when I talk to Evan Spiegel, I do think, well, at least he gets the concepts around it. Like the idea that you differentiate or you curate. And I think that's the that's the question is the curation. And I think one of the things that I found fascinating from your tenure at Yahoo, besides all the other things I was writing about there, um, was the they they made this enormously high profile hire, and you are you, you know it was it was a big giant hire that they made, and then they literally hit you <laughs> anywhere they could. That was put you so that weird, can, right? It was. I and, was I mean, like, just and then as, you get these just interviews for, as a business proposition. It's right. not like I'm all that in a bag of chips, but like right. if you are going to invest in somebody like me who has. Mm-hmm a quote-unquote brand, which I hate that, mm-hmm. but, you know, who is yeah. recognizable and has a connection with people, why not leverage that? It was it, bizarre. I don't think they meant it in the first place. No, I think no, it was no. just a thing. I think the they, they never intended to do it, but it wasn't even, they, it sounded good. It was like a good press release, but it was sort of— But they, they hired a lot of people, so it was more than a press release. It was something, you know what I mean? Like, that was what was interesting, the whole— I just was, it was sort of a sidelight, and I don't think it was even as cynical as just a press release. I think they thought they wanted it. No, I think you're right. I think they just didn't understand what it required. And I would try to say, hey, let me bring this person in to run media who Mm -hmm. really gets it. And, you know, and they they just, I don't know. It was, it was strange. So you left because why? Because then it had changed. Marissa was. Because I just didn't see them shifting their attitudes. And, you know, at some point, even under I, oath, <laughs> oath. I just had interviewed Tim Armstrong. I liked him. I think he's great. I I told him I thought the new name of the company should be Rise R I Z E because it's mm-hmm. sort of like Verizon and it's yeah, aspirational yeah. Oh, I like and positive. That, Katie Couric, that's but, a great um, name. You know, I think they paid a lot of money to come up with oath, whatever. Oath. But anyway, so I think that you know, I I think these companies are maybe they'll wake up and smell the coffee, but I think they're just very lumbering and slow. And so at some point, ironically, right, but at some point you want to do quality work and make sure that someone values what you do and make sure that they hopefully want to get it out into the world, which is increasingly fragmented, by the way. Two questions, though. Netflix just paid Ryan Murphy or right, Shonda Rhimes. enormous, dollars. You know, and then Shonda Rhimes has a similar I deal. I know. Um, obviously, Apple is just invested in a Reese Witherspoon thing that's very expensive. Um, uh, based on morning television. Right, exactly. It's all about you. It's going to be a case. Not, not about me, I don't think. Um, but <laughs> well, you could consult, for sure. You seem to know a t- thing or two about that. Um, when you uh, when you look at all that, though, they are sp- they are moving rather heavily. They are. I, you know, I think right now, I, I think that they are not super jazzed about moving into a more news space, mm-hmm. but maybe ultimately they will be. But right now, I think they're really focused on scripted content. 
and, right. you know, super kind of impactful, buzzy stuff. And, you mm-hmm. know, I think in a news landscape where there is so much content everywhere, I don't know about you, Kara, but I can, mm-hmm. I mean, I read so many articles on my phone and I'm yeah. like, where did yeah. I read that? What was that? Right. How did I right. know that? And it's disconnected um, from it, the it, brand. It, it feels very confusing, but but you're right. I think I think the landscape is continually changing and iterating, as they say, and, uh you know, it will be interesting to see. But the the most important thing is, you know, how are we going to keep people informed and engaged in the world mm-hmm. around them? I do think, you know, from what I said earlier, that a lot of young people, Gen Z, whatever you call it, millennials, really are engaged. But but they have to. We have to get, continue to think about how we'll continue to keep people engaged. You know, because it's so important to a democracy. I know. What would you do right now if you were young? I mean, you already. Like, if I one were of the young, things, let me yeah. just say, everybody, Katie Kirk is the hardest woman, working woman, and we were having dinner, and literally, she was getting on a. You were getting on a knife. Like, where were you going? You were going to like Alabama or somewhere. We're like, Katie Kirk can rest. I know. Was, I just. They were literally to like, work. Katie Kirk. I don't know why take, my take husband minute. thinks I'm insane. Yeah, he, I, I, um, and know, I work hard, and I think you're insane. Like, I know. I have to figure out. I do feel like I have to find a better balance. Uh, but but what would I do if I were starting out in the business I don't know, now? but I, I, I just felt like, like, at one point, I'm like, you you did that Sarah Palin interview. You can retire now. Like, I you know, can but don't, I mean, I like to be engaged in the world. No, I, I like get to it. be talking so what to would interesting you do, people. I don't saying, what would you do if you were young? What would you? What are you interested in now? Interested in now? Yeah, what do you, I mean, because look, broadcast is sort of shifting so dramatically. And, and you know, you tried the Yahoo thing, although it doesn't mean that that didn't work. But where were you looked at or where would you go? I mean, I think that I'd like to try something more entrepreneurial mm-hmm. because I think there's never been a better time. I mean, if you talk about disintermediation, I mean, I've— I do a lot on Instagram because I feel a real connection with the people who follow me on Instagram. It feels mm-hmm. a little less kind of uh, sort of cosmic than Twitter. I feel it's more community-based. And I think that that's a really interesting outlet to experiment in and mm. try different things. And, you know, I'd like to do something that really, you know, at this point in my career shines a light on other young, up-and-coming, especially female journalists, diverse journalists, people right. who represent all different points of view, because the one thing we've seen, Kara, so clearly is, you know, certainly in broadcast, that it is still a male bastion. It's yeah. still all the decision makers are are primarily white men. Mm-hmm. And we have to start changing that. And how do you change it? Well, you give women an opportunity and experience and a, a chance to shine. How did you take, I mean, the, the, obviously media has been the focus of a lot of the Me Too stuff more than any, I was talking about this the other day. There's there's a lot of it in tech, but it really has been focused on media and including places you've worked. Yes. I mean, how do you look at, when you, when you see that happening, did you just become inert to it? Like, oh, this is the way it is? I mean, I have to say personally, I did not deal with a lot of that. I don't know whether... Uh, you know, I'm just imminently inharassable, <laughs> but, you know, I'm harassable, not harassable. But, right. you know, I was very lucky. I, you know, I, every now and then, um, you know, someone would make a comment or it would be a little fratty, but I would just, I think I'm kind of like you. I would roll my eyes or give it right back. Um, and so I think culturally, it, it's it's just been such a, a shift in what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. But having said that, you know, I've been the beneficiary of having a pretty 
powerful job. And I would try to set the right tone in a in a work environment. Having said that, I think I'm sure it was, you know, jocularity bordered on too much kind of, uh, you know, boys humor. But yeah, I think I think about what I, did I allow that I shouldn't have? Yeah, well, you know, I don't really feel that way. I think that some people have said, well, how did you not know what was going on? I mm-hmm. think there was also this feeling of privacy, you know, mm-hmm. and people do things and you're not monitoring behavior uh, right. in people's spare time. You don't know about it. And so I think that, you know, I, I feel t- I have a totally clear and clean conscience about mm-hmm. the way I comported myself and, uh, you know, any responsibility that I bear for people's bad behavior. Yeah, it's hard because I think what happens is one of the things I've noticed, at least in Silicon Valley and talking to people, is that people let things go. Like, you know, I think about like how you become, again, a nerd to it. Like you, you get you get this stuff all the time and then you live in the environment and then and some of it is so subtle, Kara. You absolutely. know, some of it they're, they're I called think that one of the things that hasn't gotten a lot of attention is sort of very subtle sexism that's that's marginalizing and dismissive and undervalues mm-hmm. people's uh, accomplishments and intelligence and ability to contribute. And it's it's this very subtle thing that you can't go to necessarily HR about it, but mm-hmm. you feel it intensely. And I well, have experienced that. Yeah, it's really interesting. When I, I just finished the Tina Brown um, book about her tenure at Vanity Fair, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah, I haven't and read it And one of the yet, things, oh, you've got to read it. It's hysterical. It's hysterical and beautifully written and very funny and very raw. But She's what so inter- brilliant. Brilliant. But I was just thinking, people have a vision of her that's really not very nice, like tough, you know, ball-busting lady editor kind I, of thing. I, I, I'm like, I'm so over that. I am exactly. so over and that. I was, I was like, she... She changed magazines, and two, not one, but two. And she had some, like, rockier times at Daily Beast and talk and stuff like that. But her accomplishments were massive when you start to realize it, the impact on magazines. Oh, definitely. And the, the kind of image she has is so, like, everyone, any man who did that, I just was, it made me furious when I was reading. I was thinking, this person still has sort of a reputation among some, who, which is like, oh, what a what a tough bitch she is, that kind of thing. And I'm like— Whoa! Wait! Wait a minute. She did a lot, and why is she? Why is that her image? Well, you know, you know I, th- I think that's why it's so important to have women in leadership positions. When I anchored the CBS Evening News, like I would call writers out and say, "Why are you describing Hillary Clinton that way? Would you describe a male candidate that way? Right? Or just why can't we do a story on X, Y, and Z? Things that that." my male counterparts would never in a million years imagine. And but why so, should it be you that does it? <laughs> why does it have to be someone, a woman? I was just, I did the same thing when I interviewed Hillary Clinton last year at Code. Um, so one of the anchors I was telling you is like, she was strident. And I'm like, what, what word did you just use? And this was on the air. And they're like, I said strident is a word you only use for hysterical it's women. It's true. And how about and I was like, she was tough. How about that being shrill. struck, yeah. you know, taken yeah. out of our vocabulary? Do you ever, hey, and how about perky? You know, like I felt, <laughs> You're perky. I was called perky. Yeah, you get a and lot I am of perky. very outgoing and I'm friendly and I'm very like, I'm very upbeat. But, you know, are men ever called perky? No, I feel yeah. like it's a demeaning, marginalizing description of somebody and well, it, I don't also, like when it. you shifted like I think you did shift though in your you were not you were a much more complex person than Perky well that's Katie. the thing I you think know what I mean people, people don't, didn't like it well people, people don't like 
they don't want to acknowledge people are multidimensional. They want to, com- right. you know, put them in a box and say they're X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I think that nuance has been lost in our current discourse and hasn't really existed for a very long time. And it's just very easy to stereotype people. Yeah, or else you, it, it, I, I think about you a lot. I remember you, when we were at Vanity Fair and you yelled, I was talking about your salary and I was thrilled that you got the big salary you did at Yahoo. Someone was sort of saying, oh, that's a lot of money. I'm like, who cares? You got the money. Like I can, And you yelled from the audience, that's right, Swisher, or something like that. <laughs> like, but in this sort of growl, and it was fantastic. And everyone was like, is that Katie Couric? And I was like, yes, that is Katie Couric. Like, I know. Well, you know, money. I think women especially, I mean, think about it. Morning television, you have to be nice. And, you know, I think uh, luckily I am, I'm, I, I think of myself as a nice person, but you have mm-hmm. to fulfill these expectations and roles. And, you know, it's very hard to navigate as a woman this kind of, you know, being tough but not too tough, you know, being mm-hmm. challenging but not too challenging, not having an opinion, being, you know, being palatable and pleasant in the morning. You know, you have to be like the breakfast smoothie. And so right. it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. I like the breakfast smoothie. I think I stole that from smoothie, Tom Brokaw, who described yeah. Matt as that once. Yeah, what? Not anymore. Um, uh, what smoothie would you be? Like, oh my goodness, you'd be an interesting smoothie. But it's true. But it's it's. I think that that's what's interesting is that if you don't fulfill their expectations of you. Well, I and, think but, there's so much. You know, one of the hours I'm doing for Nachi, and again, I'm not. I, I've been thinking no, about ahead, all these, and do. the only reason no. I bring it up is because you're in this hour, and you're fantastic. Yeah. It's about gender inequality in Hollywood and Silicon Valley. And and I talked to a woman at Harvard who studies implicit bias. And we mm-hmm. you and I talked about this, Kara. You know, companies I don't think it's that implicit. consider themselves a meritocracy are the least meritocratic of anyone mm-hmm. because they don't acknowledge their innate biases. And I think we are so programmed to see men and women in a certain way that is actually, you know, reinforced by all the messaging we get in commercials mm-hmm. and the uh, objectif- objectification of women, hypersexualization of women. I had to think, you know, when this whole Me Too movement was exploding, the Victoria's mm-hmm. Secrets fashion show was on CBS. And I was like, no wonder women are confused. No wonder everybody is confused. Right. But then you have the the, the, the backlash. And you talked about you, you You interviewed James Damore for that, right? Or, right. or others. You went to one of his parties. You told me I'm going to his I went party. To a, have a, a good cookout. time. Yeah. I was like, have they a were good serving time. sausages. Uh, were they? Of course they were. There's sausages everywhere where I work, Katie. Um, <laughs> everywhere I go, sausage, sausage fest is it was what, interesting. Name, it was interesting. Name, that was the name of my memoir, is Sausage Fest. Um, but it, it's true. I always it's it's so true. Um but what was interesting about when you were talking about that was that I'm glad that you were open to hearing them because one of the things in Silicon Valley right now, you know, Peter Thiel has to move because he can't right. be conservative. Which, right. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. What, like, tell, least, yeah, let's discuss that. What up all with right, that? We only have a few minutes. Oh, come on. Just please. I just don't even know what to say. I, this is a person who is a, a victimizer that acts like a victim. Typical. You know what I mean? Like, this guy sued the company out of business. He's got billions of dollars. He's all kinds of things at his disposal. And if you want me to imagine that he, and he gets to speak up, he gets to give speeches, he gets to, you know what I mean? And he's still a victim. He is Well, let me every- ask you something, Kara. In terms of like a, a policy discussion, do mm-hmm. you believe that in certain circles that a conservative point of view is, is actually heard at all and there can be an open conversation with people of differing opinions? I think 
some places are conservative and some places aren't. I can't operate in certain parts of the country either, like in certain companies. It's just companies have their point of view. And I think the reason a lot of these companies pretend they don't is because when you have to say your values, you have to argue about them, right? Mm-hmm. You, uh, values are what you argue about. But when you have—I had this really interesting time at YouTube. I went there to talk to them, and I, they were talking about how it used to be all squirrel videos and nice things, and now they have a college ethical debate every day, you know, whether it's Logan Paul or whatever. Right. Um, and and on some level, I'm like, well, that's the way, that's what it's about having values. You have to state your values. And I don't think that they, they can, they, they, I'm, I'm having an interest, I'm going to have a pie as a guy who's doing all these polls on conservatives. They don't get to talk. It is a liberal environment. It is. It just is. These companies are more tolerant. Tech has been more tolerant. And these are their values. And so I don't know if you can't talk, because I don't think that's, I'm sorry, these people have so many opportunities to talk. At Google, there's like 900 uh, places to talk and all kinds of opportunities. But I think once you say something that's not in their value system, maybe it's not a place you need to work. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you should work somewhere else. Or, you know, I think that's been... I mean, as a gay person, you couldn't be gay. Like, you couldn't. And that, of course, that ended up being illegal in some places. It's still not that illegal in many places. Um, But I just think you have to think about what values you have. And if you have those values, not being cowed into saying you have to have everyone's point of view. This this is our value. This is what we, you know, every internet company has a little statement of who they are. Um, And I think they're scared about that. They're scared about stating them. Yeah, That's interesting, but I also think that there are some issues that, you know, respectable, intelligent, well-meaning people can disagree. And I do, you know, I wonder about our inability to have a respectful conversation about maybe, you know, certain things are non-negotiable. I understand that, but certain things— that you can have a different point of view right. and you can learn from somebody and they can say, you know, uh, this is how I feel about this. And I feel like those conversations aren't happening and it really bums me out. And I think well, it's, it's really damaging it's so the country. Yes, it's so politicized. But maybe I was just thinking the other day, some other point of view came out and I was like, I'm so glad to hear this point of view. Like, now I know. Like, I people are like, I can't believe people are like this. I think they've always been like this. They just have an outlet. And especially social media amplifies and weaponizes a right. lot of it, you know. And I, 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 when I think about it, I'm like, well, okay, now I can see it. It's out in broad daylight. I understand the ignorance or whatever. I think of whatever the point of view is. Uh, most, most, many of them I find ignorant. But, but some, you know, you know, you can't really persuade somebody if you're not, talking to them. There's a really good book that's written by the incoming president of the University of Virginia, Jim Ryan. It's called Wait, What? Mm-hmm. And in, he gave a great Wait, graduation da, 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 speech at, at the Harvard School of Education. And mm-hmm. it's basically, we've lost our ability to be even, you know, a, a tiny bit circumspect. You know, we have these instantaneous reactions. And sometimes just to take a moment and say, wait, what? And he, anyway, it's very interesting to the the way we hear things, the way we react to things, the way that we are in our own echo chambers, the way that we we are preaching to the choir, especially on social media and Twitter. That some I just wish once in a while we could all say, "Wait, what?" Except and then hear each other a little bit, not on everything, Kara. No, but on no, some but I'm going to push back on it in a very big way because I do think we're hearing each other. That's the problem. Do you? I was. I'm just yes because I, I'm reading. I'm reading the actual book on Hamilton, not the musical, which I really much enjoyed. Oh, the David but if you Chernow? read Ron yes, Chernow. No, the Ron Chernow. 
If you read that book, the stuff that was going on between Hamilton, Jefferson, Madison, and Washington— Not to mention Aaron Burr. Yeah, exactly, who created a problem at the end. But um, it was really quite the same. Like, it is even worse. Like, the kind of—like, in our democracy, hung by a thread so many times, the Whiskey Rebellion, the XYZ affair, we we have no sense of history is Mm -hmm. what it is. And if you read that, you're like, oh, my God. Oh, my—like, you you realize how—and the the invective was so vicious through these different newspaper articles they wrote against each other. There was an act, the Sedition Act, if people don't remember it, like, that you—people went to jail for having a Republican— point of view, if they if they insulted the government, and that was law in the books for a very long time, um, that that if you insulted the government, you were jailed. So people who were not in the of the Adams group, the Federalists, were put in jail for years, and their lives were changed. And so I think this has been an American problem for years: is the lack of ability to have any memory, mm-hmm. and at the same time realize that we have always been like that. You know what I mean? And then social media, and what's happened is Trump is just under given voice to all of it. Now we see it instantly, and that's what's discomforting about it. Um, but we don't—this is not something—go read that book, because then I, I, yeah. I sort of felt a little better. I was like, oh, wow, we've been doing this for centuries. We're on the cusp of anarchy at every single second. Um, you think I'll the same read thing that, and you read, wait, Salem, what? Which, all right, I'll read, wait, but I, because I think it's not, I think social media has made it worse and that these companies have a responsibility. And I'll, I'll, we'll end on that because one of the things, when you were talking about how do I get liked, disliked, I, what I think happens, and I think the reason you're successful is because we just, I, I, I hate to like have something in common with Donald Trump, but you say it like it, like it is for you. And I think people do appreciate that. Whether they disagree with you or don't agree with you, if you have a cogent, point of view and you're genuine, these mediums, you thrive in them. You I guess. You know, I, I, I'm still quite careful. I mean, I think that you are sort of, you know, care bar the door. I'm a little mm-hmm. more uh, careful about some of the things I put out there in the world because I don't know, you know, I want to get the I don't care gene from you somehow mm-hmm. because I still, I have that desire to be liked, which is, yeah. Um, yeah, you, you know, I, I have it team. less as I've gotten older, but I still have What's it. This, and 70, you're going to say, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> what? When is it? When? You, when? It, what age are you going to do that at? Well, I'm I'm starting to say, uh, not, not F you, but. <laughs> oh, it's so sweet. Shut up. <laughs> hush you. Get out of here. Get, Get out of here. Town. Come on. <laughs> bite me. That's about as far as I go. I oh do say God. bite me. But I don't. Yeah, but I, I, think, I, don't. I do think you get an enormous amount of criticism that are, I can't imagine having. Like, I was thinking there was a story about Lena Dunham in Vanity Fair oh, about gosh, the same thing. Yeah. Like that, Lena, well, every time, really? I mean. I love Lena Dunham. But this Dunham, is, this is the, the world we live in. And I right. think. I think you can you can say nothing and stand for nothing, or mm-hmm. you can, you know, say when you feel strongly about things. You know, I've been pretty open about saying we have to have a conversation about sensible gun laws. It is insanity. Right. It mm-hmm. is insanity. And no, it's not a panacea. No, it will never prevent gun violence, but it can reduce it. And it has to be a multi-pronged approach. I agree mental illness is a part of it, but it's a, you know, easy access to firearms is really a horrific thing. And I've I've been pretty vocal about that. Mm -hmm. 
Well, so what's your next fit? You you've done you got me to have a col- have my colon. I'm, I'm actually taking a, a well known person to get screened in March. I'm not going to oh, tell no. you who. Oh no! But I'm going to escort this individual. Oprah. I am not going. No, I am not going to actually perform the colonoscopy because I'm right. not. I'm not qualified. But I'm going to be sort of the escort, which will be fun because you know it's such a preventable disease, and I, I, you know nothing feels Katie, better to me. To I mean, if it. you talk about anything I've done in my life, when people come up to me, Karen, say, you know what? I got screened for colon cancer because of you, and that screening saved my life. Wow. I mean, that makes me that, feel like I'm walking on a cloud, so. I have the colon of a 20-year-old, just in case. Do you? Mazel. Clean. Clean. Clean living, Katie. Have you, when was your last colon? Well, you're not, how old are you now? I'm old, 54. Okay, so how many, yeah. you've had one colonoscopy? One, yes. I'm going to have one next year. Okay, Five good. years, right? Five years and 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 really five tell, years. Can you yeah, tell me? every Dr. five years? Yeah, Kirk? tell every. Well, depending on what they find, they yeah. found a McDonald's cheeseburger when I did mine. Uh, you kidding. didn't take the pills. No, <laughs> no, I get. Um, no, I will take take them. But I want to end on one thing. So you, where, where do you imagine you're gonna do next? I mean, obviously you're talking about Instagram, which I think is really interesting. But what? And then I will tell you what I'm going to do next. But what uh, if you want to know? Um, I do want to know. Of course, I want to know. What do you imagine if you could like design a career right now? Like you're doing these documentaries, you're doing all kinds of things. What do you? What would be the most interesting way? Still storytelling. I mean, I storytelling. I do love talking to interesting people. I like understanding sort of where they came from, how they got there. I love learning all the time. I'm sort of insatiably curious. So I think, I don't know exactly. I, I need some career advice from you, Kara, because I, think I, you should interview. I also I think like, you should interview. I, I also like being connected to an audience or to people. I like feeling that, that I have th- that, base, that, yeah. the access to people that I can make them f- more I can make complicated subjects more understandable or that I can introduce them to something that they're not aware of that will improve their lives or that will just make their day more interesting. I like being sort of that conduit for Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And I think I have a pretty good sensibility about things. I think I've got a nose for news, as they say. I Mm -hmm. think I know, I can sense when something is going to kind of be in the ethos. So I don't know exactly, but I just want to keep learning and discovering. And that sounds so cheesy and weird, but you know, I I just enjoy being engaged and I like to take people along That's for the not ride. Cheesy. And you should do interviews. I'm just telling you, not just because this one, I mean, I, I, what, what do you imagine your greatest interview was? I think yeah, my most one. impactful, which really isn't a word, but now I think it is a word because mm-hmm. it's used so much. I think it's probably was Sarah Palin. Palin. That was a hell of an interview. Oh, well, you know, it having nothing to do with me, I just, I think I basically went there with questions that required critical thinking and accumulated knowledge. And I think I was very careful about um, asking them in a Absolutely. non-confrontational way. And as a result, I think it exposed a lot about her. And I think yep. that was very helpful for voters. Yeah, you were, you took a photograph. You know what I mean? And that's, you couldn't More deny. like an x-ray. Yeah, you did. And you couldn't deny it. It was like, okay, I see. You know what I mean? It was really interesting. But I, you know, I I feel like I've done a lot of pretty good interviews, like this one, for example. Oh, this one. <laughs> anyway, Katie. <laughs> oh, wait. Do you, oh, okay, wait. Well, hold on a second. I have another one more question. question. Hold go. on. All right. Okay. This is from Gianna, my producer. All right. What muscles and skills do you think entrepreneurship draws upon compared to journalism? Um, Katie, I think. 
Being irritating is, I think, the most important muscle skill that anyone has to have. Being irritating? Irritating. Being irritable and irritating and not being, looking at something and saying, why is this done this way? Uh I think every great entrepreneur from Steve Jobs to to, to, down to today, lots of great entrepreneurs are, every one of them is irritating and irritated. And so they see something and they want to, they don't, they don't let anything stop them from doing it. And I think it's really hard. I think agreeable people don't invent things. Yeah. You know, and I, mean? I think and the I most just, important uh, word probably in an entrepreneur's uh, uh, vocabulary is why. Why, yeah. Or maybe yeah. why not. Why not? It's, it's more like, I don't like this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And I think our greatest, you know, this will be from very difficult people. Oh, and by the way, before we go, I have to plug yeah. my podcast. I'm All getting right. it in plug big, bold letters highlighted in yellow. So, okay. hey, Kara, tell your listeners yeah. <laughs> who, by the way, I, I'm sure you have a lot of really cool people who listen to your podcast. Yeah. You tell them to listen to mine because it's, yes. it's actually... I hope it's interesting and fun. We have a lot of cool guests like Julia Louis-Dreyfus, I, you know, oh, Mitch wow. Landrew. Um, wow. That's one nice thing, you know, because I've been doing this for a century, I'm able mm-hmm. to get pretty good guests on my podcast. Yeah. So who else? Julia Louis, Mitch Landry, who else? Who else? Oh, well, who else have you Doris Kearns Goodwin, Samantha oh, Bee, wow. uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Gretchen Carlson, Amy Schumer, I just interviewed in her apartment. Oh. You would love Amy Schumer. Do you know I, her? No, I do not. Oh, Katie. you would love her. <laughs> okay, I, I, when you're in New York, let's all get <laughs> together. Not. I'm right, not her, her movie friend. I mean, I like her. I don't hang out with her. But I think I, I think you would love her. Alec Baldwin, right. wow. uh, Tina Brown, Katie. the aforementioned Tina Brown, yeah. Ina Garten. I cooked uh, eggs in Ina Garten's kitchen in East Hampton. Nice. They well were delicious. Done. Danny mm-hmm. Meyer, who I love. David mm-hmm. Axelrod, Martha Stewart, blah, 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 oh Sheryl Sandberg, Katie, who listen you to know Katie well. Kerr. Yes, I do. I do. I do know Sheryl Sandberg. And we talked to her about, uh, op- is it Plan B or Option B? Option B. Option B, yes. Uh, which, of course, I could relate to her Absolutely. Experience. That must have been. I'm going to listen to that interview. That must be. That listen must be. to all of them, Kara. You have nothing I will. else Everyone, to do. I'm going to spend my whole <laughs> day listening to Katie Kirk. That's what I'm going to do. Anyway, Katie, thank you so this much. Was this was so fun. Totally, right, will you call just, me when you come to New York I, so we I can will. hang out? Totally. I absolutely will do that. And happy President's Day, by the way. Thank you so much. And by the way, I wanted to ask you, you're thinking about running for mayor of San oh, Francisco, you right? Yeah, you got a million questions, Katie. We'll have to do part two of this thing. In 2023. Maybe. We'll see. I've decided perhaps I might aim even higher, Katie. Really? Are you going to run for yeah. president? No, no, no. That would be a disaster. Senator? Oh, what am I, governor? What am I talking about? You would be <laughs> great. Can I be your um, your press secretary? Oh, my God. We would just go down in flames. It would be so good. <laughs> hey, it Absolutely. sounds like a sitcom, doesn't it? It does. It does. Let's write it. Let's okay. do that. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Bye, Katie Kara. Kirk. Thank Wait, you what, for I doing I got to say my goodbye. You've got to listen to my goodbye part. Katie, it was great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Once again, Katie's podcast is called Katie Couric. Woo! You can find it pretty much everywhere you listen to Rico Decode, and she gets much better guests than I do. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes. You can find all our past interviews in whatever app you can listen to this or on our website, rico.net slash podcast. If you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the show. Now that you're done with this, you should check out our other Recode Radio podcasts on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You hear no-nonsense interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I host Too Embarrassed to Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where I answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference, which just took place. There's tons of great interviews from that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. 
Hi, this is Kara Swisher, host of Recode Decode. This year at South by Southwest, Vox Media is taking over the Belmont in Austin, Texas, and turning it into the deep end. The Vox Media Podcast Network will be doing some live tapings of Recode Decode, Recode Media, and The Vergecast at the Deep End between March 9th and March 11th. We'd love to see you there. If you want to attend, please request an invitation at voxmedia.com slash sxsw-2018. Again, to find out more information and request an invitation at voxmedia.com slash sxsw-2018. 